In the name of God, the holy and undivided Trinity. Amen. Lord, teach us to pray. The disciples must have seen Jesus praying, or at least noticed that he disappeared sometimes to seek communion with God. Maybe they long for the fruits they perceive from Jesus' prayer, fruits like strength and centering, clarity that is still comfortable with ambiguity, unexpected ways of seeing, courage and compassion and authority and deep faith. I remember once at a clergy retreat hearing a colleague I respect talk about her sense of inadequacy at prayer. She spoke what I suspect many of us feel. I really should pray more, she said. I should maybe pray differently. I, I'm just not sure I'm doing it right. The truth she so wisely pointed to is that we are always beginners in the life of prayer. Always beginners. What matters most is that we begin and that we begin just as we are, with all our feelings and questions and desires, that we make even a little space to be aware of God's presence, and that we bring our whole selves into that presence. The desire to pray is itself prayer. Sometimes we're helped by learning the time-honored prayers of others, and of course, the Lord's Prayer is among the most beloved of these. We learn words that we can fall back on in crisis and extremis, or when we just don't know what to say. And sometimes we struggle with the words, or the familiar prayers that used to work for us don't anymore. We try to speak our own hearts, and we seek new images, or we just sit in silence too deep for words. The Lord's Prayer has been paraphrased and reimagined countless times. I enjoyed looking at several different versions this week, including three in particular, one from the New Zealand Prayer Book, a womanist version by the Reverend Yolanda Norton, and riffs on the Lord's Prayer by the English liturgist and theologian Janet Morley. In Luke, Jesus' answer to the disciples is simple and spare. He says, when you pray, say, Father. The Aramaic word is Abba, which is more aptly translated Daddy, signifying not so much gender as generative care and trusting intimacy. The womanist version addresses our mother who is in heaven and within us. The New Zealand version expansively prays earth maker, pain bearer, life giver, source of all that is and that shall be, father and mother of us all, loving God in whom is heaven. Janet Morley prays to Abba, our God, 
whom the heavens disclose. We pray to the God of the vast cosmos. Think of the images revealed by the Webb telescope, who is our source of life closer than our breath, God of majesty and intimacy and mystery. The emphasis that Jesus teaches is on a profoundly loving and life-giving relationship with God who desires our company and is more ready to hear even than we are to pray. The prayer goes on, hallowed be your name. To hallow is to make holy, or perhaps to see, acknowledge, and amplify the holiness that is always and already there. May the hallowing of your name echo through the universe, says the New Zealand prayer book. We pray to honor God's name, and of course, humans have many names for God who gave their own name as I will be who I will be. We seek to align with the hallowing of God's desire, being, and purpose in our worship and in the places our worship will lead us this week, as Morley says. Your kingdom come. Most of you know that I have trouble with the imagery of monarchy and, domin and dominion, and I think it causes us trouble as well. I like to speak of God's kingdom, God's way, God's commonwealth, to pray, may your beloved community come in our time and everywhere. The kingdom of God is the central theme of Jesus' teaching, explained in deceptively simple stories, coming and already here, among, within, and beyond us. Using some of these familiar images, Morley riffs on this petition. Scatter the seed, bake the bread, pour the wine, fill the house, bring the children, and come to the party. The invitation can't wait till the guests are readier, or the task is easier, till the world is fairer, or the time is riper. The matter is urgent, the feast is ready, and the time is now. We pray both for a vision of God's commonwealth that sustains our hope and the struggle, and that actually comes into being in real time. Confronted, my friends, as we are with the stark absence of God's justice, the stark absence of God's healing, this prayer gives voice to all our heartfelt longing that the earth and her creatures may flourish. And it is also a prayer as we struggle with gun violence, racism, economic inequity, war, the denial of bodily autonomy and health care, all in the context of a climate catastrophe. It is a prayer that we may share God's own urgent longing for the wholeness of creation, may participate in God's work to heal and bring justice to the world. May your beloved community come and may it grow here among us and within us. May it come for creatures we do not know and cannot even imagine and for our very dearest ones.
May it come for our siblings who are poor and broken, despised and left out. May it come among those we find it hardest to love, understand, or even tolerate. In short, our enemies and us. In the words of the New Zealand prayer book, may your commonwealth of peace and freedom come on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Our ordinary needs are important to God. And Jesus bids us pray for what we need to live. This petition always makes me think of the children of Israel wandering in the desert, learning to trust that God will give just enough manna to sustain them each day. Mercies that are new every morning and that we learn again and again. This petition calls us also to learn how much is enough to neither hoard nor collapse in anxiety so that others too can have the bread they need. When we pray for our daily bread, we ponder what else we need to live and what else we hunger for. Is it hope, justice, friendship, peace? How are our needs provided by community by strangers, by the bounty of the earth? And how are we an answer to the prayers and basic needs of others? The petition teaches us that there is enough if we will take only what we truly need and trust in God. Even as we are to live in trust and gratitude for daily bread, we are to live by the grace of forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Mercifully, we are not praying that God will forgive us only to the extent that we forgive others, but rather that God will help us to forgive in the same way that we have been and are being forgiven. It seems that we cannot fully open our hearts to receive the free flow of forgiveness and maybe cannot fully forgive ourselves when we are clutching tight to the wrongs and resentments of what others have done to us. Forgiveness is about release from all that binds us. It's freedom from sin and bitterness and shame, freedom from the critical voices that say we do not deserve love and cannot give it. But the petition is most accurately translated, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus is speaking in part of the crippling debt under which many tenant farmers and bounded servants labored in the first century, never able to get free of owing money to those with more power and wealth. And it's the same today, isn't it? Both individuals and entire developing nations become entrapped in debt. Forgiveness implies practical freedom from poverty, want, and servitude. And it implies extending that same freedom to all our sisters and brothers. Such forgiveness includes reparations. Do not bring us to the time of trial. We pray to be spared challenges and sufferings too hard to bear 
And when we find ourselves sorely tried, we are tempted to take whatever way out we can find. And so we pray for help. We pray for God to make a way out of no way, to bring good out of evil and hope out of despair. We pray to be strong enough in the face of the challenges of life, be they internal or external, personal or political, that we may meet them faithfully and with integrity. We pray for protection from evil and for help to do what's right in the face of it. We pray that no matter where we find ourselves, we will know that God is right there with us. And then Jesus tells the disciples a parable about prayer. It's a story of friendship, of inconvenient and unexpected need, and it's a shameless plea for help. The word that is translated persistence is more accurately shamelessness. The friend who comes at midnight is not afraid to make a spectacle of herself, waking a whole household and maybe all their neighbors with her cries. In Jesus' culture, hospitality is a value so deep that to deny it or to deny help for someone seeking it is shameful. The parable suggests that God's honor, or we might say God's holiness, is revealed in the profound welcome and friendship and help given to one seeking hospitality and one seeking to provide it for others. Jesus invites his listeners to reflect on their own willingness to support a friend in need, their own experience of being welcomed and sometimes surprised by someone who helps even when it is really inconvenient. This is part of normal human interaction when we and our relationships are healthy. It helps us learn what God's grace and goodness are like. Commentator Grant Bakewell reflects, we must continue to knock on the door of both God and one another until true peace, healing, and new life come to God's people. God's answer in our own time may be like the answer given to Jesus in his time, the cup of suffering, and at times even a sense of feeling forsaken and abandoned by God and by humankind. We may not yet see the fullness of God's shalom come to earth or even for those for whom we pray. But I constantly get glimpses, even signs of a miracle or two, and I can nevertheless continue to give my life in love for this purpose, as Jesus himself did. Jesus' teaching concludes with an exhortation to persist shamelessly in prayer, to ask, to search, and to knock. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened, he says. What? All of us experience prayer that is not answered. Despite the fervor of our praying and despite the goodness of what we ask for, 
Does that mean we aren't praying correctly or with enough faith? No. No. I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying at all. Prayer is not magic. It's a relationship with God who, like a loving parent or friend, offers us God's own self, the Holy Spirit, not always able to fix what troubles us, always able to be present with us in it, working to bring good out of difficulty. In prayer, Jesus invites us to a relationship of shameless honesty, persistent exploration and deepening trust in God's goodness. So friends, as we pray, may we come to share God's own longing, which is abundant life for all. May our prayers disrupt and change us. May they strengthen us to offer our lives with joy, to disrupt and change our world, and help bring God's kingdom for which we pray. Amen.